Luke chapter 14, in the word this morning, Luke 14 and verse 33, the word of God says this, it says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. I draw your attention back up to the end of verse 26. If anyone does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Twice in this text we find the statement that if I don't give my life fully to Christ, I cannot follow him. Okay, a statement not that it will be difficult to live two lives, but rather that it will be impossible to both follow Christ and the cravings of my flesh or of this world. It is impossible. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Tim, I am living a conflicted life because I know the truth of the gospel. But I am not living for Christ. Your conflict, your desire to have pleasure in life while knowing that you should follow Christ while following the world is an impossible pursuit. You will never find peace, happiness, and joy when you try to please God and your flesh at the same time. When you live for the adoration of the world and Christ, you will always be on the losing end. And the joy and delight in your life that is so characteristic of committed Christians, you will find that that joy, the light of that joy, becomes a fading issue in your life. Because you cannot, unless you hate your own life and give up everything you have, you cannot follow Christ. Now, I know that is like strong. Okay, that is a radical, that's an extensive claim on your life from someone who either deserves it or he does not. Okay, there's no middle ground on this one, is there? If you don't hate your own life, if you don't give up everything you possess, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. Now either he is king of kings and lord of lords and worthy of my full and complete devotion, or he is deranged. You can't cut it two way, another way. There are only two options. Either he deserves my full allegiance and all of my life, or he does not. We've looked at four words thus far to describe cost counting and Christ following. The first word we said is this. Following Christ is in fact inconvenient. There will never be a good season in your life to follow Christ if you don't choose to follow him today. Secondly, it will make you uncomfortable unless you hate your father and mother and brother and sisters, even your own life. You can't follow me. It is radical, he said. If you're going to follow me, shoulder the cross, the instrument of death. It is also costly. If you step up, if I step up to the call of Christ, what will it cost me? What changes will it require in my life? Here's what it will do. It will shatter your comfort zone. It will shatter the comfort zone that we tend to live in. We like comfortable lives. I love a comfortable life. I like having life on my terms. I like things going my way. I don't like discomfort. But if I'm unwilling to tolerate some level of discomfort, of uncomfortableness in my life in relationship to my obedience to Christ, his statement is very, very clear. You cannot be my disciple. And I challenged you two weeks ago, ask the question, what if I stepped out of my comfort zone and said, Lord, use me? Because then everything comes into play. What about these relationships? What about this stuff? What about my relationships at work? What about how I act at work? What about how I live in my marriage? What is it going to cost you? You ask the what if question and say, God, I'm willing to follow you. Here's what I can guarantee you. It is always costly to follow Christ. Always. This passage of scripture, the last verse, says in the same way, 
Now he's referring back to two things. The building analogy, that if someone's going to build a building, they first sit down and say, do I have enough money? Do I have a budget that makes the completion of this building likely? Secondly, if a king is going out to war, he sits down, he assesses the fact that the opposition has 20,000 soldiers, he has 10,000 soldiers, he pulls out his calculator, and if he finds out that he doesn't have enough soldiers to fight the battle, he goes and strikes terms of peace with that man. He signs a treaty. Terms of agreement. Why? Unwilling to pay the price. Jesus says to us, in the same way, any of you who does not give up, everything he has cannot be my disciple. You know, this morning we're celebrating a baptismal Sunday. Do you realize that in many countries in the world, if you participate in a public believer's baptism, that it can cost you almost everything, in some cases, your very life? I was in Indonesia three weeks ago, or I guess it's actually a month ago now. I wrestled with a question when I was there. As I listened to the stories of people, as I lived in the house of a man who has everything on the line, I had preached on this passage before I left. I preached on this passage when I got back. Here, here's the question that haunted me as I was there. If obedience-based discipleship is asking, what do I need to do in every circumstance to follow Christ? Okay, if that's what it is, I have to ask myself, what will that obedience to Christ cost me? How will that affect me? And staying in Pastor Ahian's house, watching a man put his life and his family's life on the line so that others would know about Christ, I asked myself the question, are you ready for this? Would you do this? I'm ashamed of the honest answer. Because the honest answer sitting in that bedroom in his home was, right now I wouldn't do it. I wasn't happy with that answer. But I had to reckon with the fact that for me that was the truth. That I... Oh yeah, I can look back and tell you things I've left. I can tell you about sacrifices that I've made. But Jesus doesn't ask for sacrifices. He already did that on the cross. He asked for your life, which He purchased with His blood. And if I don't understand that He categorically and completely purchased me, my commitment to Him will be weak and typical, predictable. I had to reckon with the fact that that's my life. I'm not ready to die. I remember being in India in the year 2000, 10 years ago, with Les Clefman, Chris Hussey, and Harry Stalliker. We got in a situation that was just one of the downright most scary things I've ever experienced in my life. We were there as Westerners in the northern villages of India. They were in the middle of their festival called Diwali. At the end of that festival, they put their gods on a cart, and they towed them down the street, surrounded by 100 to 200 people. We got in the middle of one of those in our Jeep by mistake. There were spears and swords part of the celebration. One hits the car and I was like, I look back at Victor John who is from India. I look back at his sister Usha. I never saw them quiet. I'd never seen them like that before. And we, he laid on the horn. He has this uh, horn that's called a uh, diplomatic horn, which is very non-diplomatic, but it lets them know that you're an important person. Like this, just this last time I was with Victor in, uh, in Texas, he was telling me that they actually got fined for having that horn in their car, okay, because it was so loud. It's just piercing loud. Okay, they beeped that horn. People just start running, and we got out of there. 
I was completely humbled by my response to that situation. I was devastated by my response to that situation. Because in a moment I thought, would I be ready as had happened to an Australian missionary and his two sons in northern India who were doing missions work, going in and caring for the poor, teaching hygiene, those kinds of things as a Christian man. And the militant Hindus came out and poured petrol over the car while they slept. Locked them in and torched the car. Would I be ready for that? My answer was no. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I'm not ready for that kind of sacrifice. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you categorically everything. I want to focus your attention on one verse in this text. With the knowledge that failure to count the cost in verses 28 down through verse 32 leads to disgrace. It leads to failure in the mission that God has called us to. With that knowledge in mind, he comes to the conclusion of verse 33. In the same way, any one of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be minus up. I just want to tear this verse apart for you very, very quickly. Any one of you who does not give up, let's focus on this word, who does not give up. The word literally means this. It means to renounce one's rights to or to wave goodbye to. Okay, that's what the word means. To renounce one's rights or to say goodbye. To permanently sever oneself from certain things in life so that Christ can be followed. Okay, that's the idea here. It is also in the present tense in the original language, which means that this saying goodbye to things really is a mood or an attitude that Christians should have towards life. Because here's what I find. Okay, I remember saying goodbye to a, a business opportunity that I had as a young person. I remember saying goodbye to that. I remember about two years ago thinking that that would be a pretty nice life. You know what I had to do? And there was an opportunity then. You know what I had to do? I had to say goodbye again. Right? Why? Because you can renounce control on things, but when they come back onto the screen of your life, guess what? You're going to be tempted to say, I want that back. I want that temptation back. I want that life back. I want that stuff back. So what Jesus calls us to in this verse is you need to say goodbye repeatedly because those things, those passions, those desires, those wants, those relationships, they will seek to creep back into your sphere of influence. And so it is an attitude that a Christian maintains in discipleship that I must continually reject the attractions and affections that pull my heart away from Christ. If he's going to be so first in my life that I would literally hate my own life, give up everything I possess, that is going to require maintenance for a person like Tim Hoff. Because I want that stuff. My flesh craves that stuff. And the Spirit of God challenges us over and over and over again. Are you really committed? We need to do this with the abiding consequence of a permanent change. Notice what we say goodbye to in the verse. Anyone of you who does not give up everything he has. This word to me was fascinating. It's in the form of a verb. It means everything one possesses, all of my stuff, and once again, it's in the present tense. It talks about my property that I need to be willing to consistently put these things aside. Every one of us as Christians has three resources. We have time, 
talent, and treasures. We also have reputation, accomplishments, family relationships, the context in which we live, friends. Here's what God says. I need to be willing to put everything on the line in order that I might be the fully devoted follower of Christ that he wants me to be. I think of this in terms of a few basic commitments in the time and in the world that we live in. I ask this question. If I resist the call to vital relationships, if I resist the call to time to serve others sacrificially and selflessly, if I reject the biblical call to tithing, if I reject the biblical call, as we're doing today, to public baptism, to loving my mate, if I reject the call to ask what if, if I reject the call to expand the kingdom of God, to forgive others in my life, to pursue reconciliation, to share the gospel of Christ with people that don't know Him, if I reject that call, that comes to me in those levels in in daily and regular and perpetual ways. Here's the question I had to ask myself. What will I do when real pressure comes? Those are minimal costs, the things I've listed for you. What will I do when the pressure really does come? And I think we need to reckon with the fact that if I don't, in a regular, habitual way, say goodbye to what I have, to my things, my time, my talent and my treasures, I don't, if I don't reckon them as God's, here's what Jesus is saying. You cannot be my disciple. You can't follow me. And he had to challenge the disciples over and over again about how extensive this call, in fact, is. Which leads me to the fifth description of what it means to follow Christ and to count the cost. It is this. And, and this, I'm gonna, this is going to seem like a flip, but just follow it. Okay? If I sacrifice like that, if I give up everything I have in order to be what Christ wants me to be in every sphere of my life, what will it be? And here's the promise I'll give you. It will be Christ-exalting and God-honoring, which will really challenge your comfort zone. Okay, it will mean that the purpose of my life from now forward is the glory of God. Now, I cannot seek the glory of God and the glory of Tim Hoff fully simultaneously. Okay, I can't live to protect my reputation and the reputation of God simultaneously. I can't. Okay, it's just like the day that I got married. I said, this woman is my wife, therefore forsaking all others. I had to, at that time, say goodbye and perpetually say goodbye to all other alternatives in order for her to be my wife in spirit and in truth. Okay, I couldn't tolerate other relationships because if I did, it would destroy that relationship. Does that make sense? And so if I'm going to follow Christ, he calls for this categoric leaving. It's hard, folks. I understand that what I've been preaching the last month is not easy territory. And I'm telling you up front, I'm not there. I am in pursuit of this. I want God to do this in my life. I want him to do it in the life of our church. And I can't wait to see what will happen when we say goodbye to everything we possess and we make him first in our lives. I am waiting to see what God will do, not only in our lives, but in our county. Now, here's the promise I'm making to you, that if you do that, it will be the greatest way that you can exalt the glory of Christ and give honor to God with your life. When you make such sacrifices for him, he is highly exalted. Real quick, I want you to turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 23. I'll walk you through just a couple of illustrations of what I'm saying. Okay, that if I make this choice to give up everything so I can be his disciple, 
And in that way, then I can glorify him. What is that going to take? Let's look at the illustration of Jesus. John 12, verse 23. Jesus says to his disciples, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. All right, this is the eve of the crucifixion just after or just at the Lord's Supper. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life, who clings to his time, talents, and treasure, will lose it. That's a fascinating statement. If you cling to your life, you will find it slowly ebbs and slips out of your hands. Okay, you, you can't hang on to it forever. One day it is going to come to an end. As someone turning 50 this year, I understand that a little bit better. It's like, it's there, but it's like, all of a sudden you're saying, wait, I'm turning 50 this year. I look in the mirror and I can't believe it because I look like I'm 30. Okay, just kidding. Okay, if you love your life, you'll live. It's going to change. The things you have, you can't take them with you. Here's what the Bible says. The rich man dies, but his glory does not follow him to the grave. You know what it's saying? You may have it, but you can't keep it. What's of greater value? That's the question. Jesus says the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life, that is, who gives up rights, who renounces rights to his life and his stuff, the one who hates it in this world will keep it for eternal life. That is counter to the world that you live in. It's counter to all the thinking that most of us have bought into. That if I give more, I will be happier. I will find greater joy and glory for God. The answer from the Word of God is inevitable in this case. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Now this is treacherous. This is on the eve of the crucifixion. Whoever loves me Whoever pledges allegiance to me and serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. Now here's what I want you to get, okay? And I just, let this sink in. Cost counting, Christ following, glorifies God. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant will also be. His personal presence is one of the delights that we look forward to. And it is the motivation for sacrifice today. If I lose my life, Paul said, to be absent from the body is what? It's to be present with the Lord. So the thing that you're hanging on to life, he's saying, I will have it more abundantly. So come what may, here's what he says. My father will honor the one who serves me. And then he says this, now my heart is troubled and what shall I say? He had options, avoid the cross or go to the cross. Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. And then here's what Jesus says. Father, glorify your name. How does he mean that? Through his giving all, even hating his own life, he glorifies his Father in heaven. That is an amazing truth that I think will challenge you to cost counting Christ following. John 18, verses 10 through 11. Jesus is being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says this, Then Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Shall I not hate my life and pursue my Father's will for His glory? That's the question Jesus is asking Peter. He's saying, Peter, I must do this. This is my Father's will. I transfer you forward. 
to John chapter 21, verses 18 to 19. John 21, 18 to 19. I want you to see the connection between cost-counting Christ's following and exaltation and glory of God and the Son. Okay? After the crucifixion, Jesus comes to Peter. He says, Peter, who had denied him, Peter, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. If you know anything about church history, you know that Peter was crucified upside down. His life taken. Why? Because he had pleasure and delight in Christ that caused him to loosen the grip and to renounce the rights to his own life. Jesus says they're going to take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would what? Glorify God. Through Peter's death, he would announce the supreme value of God and His glory in his life. Does that make sense? By that utter and complete sacrifice that most of the world would look at as a waste, Peter glorified his Father in heaven. Now that is challenging. How do we glorify God in our lives? We glorify God in our lives when we hold loosely to the things of this life. When we make all of our assets and resources, time, talent, and treasure available for service to God in a way that causes people in the world to say, be a little careful. Don't don't go overboard. Don't be too committed. Have you ever had anybody say this to you? Don't be too committed to Christ. Don't become one of those radical, sacrificial Christians. Folks, listen. If there is no sacrifice in your Christian life, your life is not glorifying God. Because it's only when my life is characterized by selfless sacrifice for the glory of God, only then that He is my greatest treasure in life. Because why? Look, we all know this. Material things are very attractive. Relationships for young people are very attractive. And if I want their approval, I can't fully follow Christ. That's exactly what He's saying. When you demonstrate a loyalty to Christ that is categoric and life-altering, what you are saying is this, I love him more. I love him more. He is worth this sacrifice. That's what Peter says in his death. That by the giving up of my life, I will demonstrate to the world that Christ is more valuable. That man that died with his two sons, a missionary from Australia in North India, seeking to take the gospel to them, did not waste his life. Although I guarantee you, there are many Christians in America who would have said he was probably unwise and foolish. He took too many risks. I don't think standing before God, that man and his two sons had regret. I don't think so. Because they paid the greatest price. And in paying that price, exalted God and his profound worth in a way that defies explanation. As a result of these encounters, Peter's life was never the same. Later he would say this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Not a dying hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to 
be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying, my love for Christ, my relationship with Christ, my hope of eternity with God and life forever is drowning out the cry of suffering. And it is exalting the glory of Christ. Folks, if you can love God in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your loss, if you can exalt Him and say, it is for Him, you will exalt Him and glorify Him in a way that you never could. And a watching world waits for such Christians who are willing to say, He is worth even my very life. Three concluding statements. This life sacrificial life that says goodbye to everything gains the approval that matters most. That's why Jesus said in John 12, 26, my father will honor the one who serves me. When I was a kid, we sung a song in our church. It was called, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely won the race till we see Christ. This life also not only gains the approval that matters most, because folks, look, we all have a tendency to live for the approval of others. Jesus says you can't have the approval of man and God. You can't seek both of those completely. can't serve two masters. This life of sacrifice, of cost-counting, Christ-following, exalts the surpassing worth of God. Here's the way the psalmist says it. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I have beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. Do you hear that? Your love is better than life. A relationship with you and the hope of eternity with you forever is better than the next breath and the next beat of my heart. Now, folks, let me say this. The psalmist is living in a place that Tim Hoff does not live in yet. Okay, I don't... I read that psalm and I say, God, I want that to be my heart where I could say, your love is better than life itself. That's what happens to people that lay down their life. They realize that a relationship with Christ is far better than any of the temporal pleasures of this world. And as a result, they lay it all down. He says, I will praise you as long as I live. Your name I will lift up with my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Echoes Psalm 1611. You have made me to know the path of life. You give me eternal pleasures at your right hand forevermore. Folks, have you ever tasted an eternal pleasure? Have you ever tasted a pleasure that you didn't need to go re-up on? A pleasure that didn't fade? You know, I take great pleasure in cheesecake. Okay, I've never had cheesecake that caused me to never want cheesecake again. I've had cheesecake that caused me to never want that cheesecake again. Okay, but I've never tasted cheesecake that took, that was just a cookie, that's it. Okay, what is the psalmist saying? You give me eternal pleasures. I've never known that although I do. It's a pleasure in Christ and a love for Christ that so affects your life in every way that you can say, okay, these things are no longer the driving force of my life. My time, my talents, my treasure, I relinquish them into the hands of God because He is better than life itself. 
And folks, this is the issue to you. Is God better than life? Is he more precious than life itself? And when, when you come to the place in your life where you are stunned and amazed and filled with passion for God and love for God, that it, it starts to affect your countenance, okay? You will be the most God-exalting person. And you will have, in spite of all of the deficits physically, financially, work-wise, relationship, whatever's going on in your life, you will say, His love is better than life. His love is what sustains me. It's what fills me. It's what quenches my thirst. Psalm 17, 15, I in righteousness will see your face. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Those are the words of a king. King David, who had a pretty nice life, he says, I will be satisfied. This is okay, but I will be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. Folks, every pleasure that you enjoy, everything you enjoy today is going to be taken away from you. At some point along the way, sickness and the end of life will come and close the door. Do you know Christ? When you come to that point in your life, will you be able to say, I am okay with this? You know, I had to say in India, I'm not ready for this. I had to say in Indonesia, I don't, I don't know. I want to be, but I don't know. And this life that truly satisfies will attract the attention of a watching world. See, there are two ways to get the world's attention. Be like them fully. Or pursue God intimately. Pursue Him like He matters more to you than anything else in your life. And you will get the attention of a watching world. They're going to say, what in the world happened to you? What makes the difference in your life? Why, I know your circumstances, why are you able to be happy? Why do you have persistent joy? Where is that coming from? Matthew 6.33 is the answer. Here's what Jesus said, and this is a promise. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Now, folks, here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe if you put Christ first, prominent, first priority in your life, if you do that, that all these things that you're looking for will be added to you? They're not material possessions. They're what you're looking for. They're what the material possessions promise to provide you, but never can. A peace, a joy, a contentment that can only be found when you are rightly related to your Creator. And when you are, you will say, Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy, eternal pleasures at your right hand. Therefore, I can make sacrifices today because I know a pleasure that will never fade away. And here's what Peter says. He says, I know I got death on a cross coming. The means by which I will glorify God. You know what he says? He says, my treasure is kept in heaven for me. You can't take it away. That is life-altering and God-glorifying. And the world that you live in is looking for people like that. Father, we pray that you will help us.